Hey guys, welcome to another episode, episode 12 of In My Own Words Podcast. This was a really enlightening podcast with a friend of mine, Sam Rubenfeld, a man that's been to my wedding, a good friend of mine. He's a journalist for the Wall Street Journal, so I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to In My Own Words Podcast. I never took a straight path nowhere. And I'm your host, Benjamin Borges. I'm hurt, dog. Don't ask me if I'm alright. Hell no. Shit, that always gets me hyped. On this podcast, I'm talking about sports, life, history, and motivation, even though with the politics sometimes. Definitely gonna have some guests. No topic is off motherfucking limits. Don't ever let somebody tell you. Not even me. Yeah, you right, Will. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Obviously, the big news of the day is Trump selected his uh, his Supreme Court justice. So what can you tell me about him? I haven't really done the research yet because I was so busy, and I figured I was going to talk to you anyway so you could fill me in. Sure. I didn't do a ton of research yet myself. I started reading a couple of stories that were clearly pre-written about him in case he was the pick. But um, the, the bit I've gleaned in the last 45 minutes or so since the... Um, pick was announced is he tends to not tell the uh, pro-executive order line. He's uh, He doesn't really believe in deferring to executive power. Okay. But he is he's, he was the one who ruled uh, in favor of Hobby Lobby before that case reached the Supreme Court. Um, he, so he has a he has a conservative tradition Going back to the likes of uh, Antonin Scalia and others. Well, that but, was. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. He's he's also he's also very much within the mainstream of conservative thought. He's not a a radical pick like Steve Bannon would want. He's much more traditional Republican pick like a, a Rance Priebus or even a um, even a Marco Rubio would be in favor. So so he kind of uh, went. So what I'm gathering from what you're saying is. He went with the safe pick that'll probably be confirmed without any issues. Yes, uh, SCOTUS blog, which is a website I strongly recommend all of your listeners check out, um, posted on Twitter about a half hour ago, quote, Absent a shock revelation, Gorsuch is sure to be confirmed. Republicans already have the votes, and he will get some Democratic support, too. Mm-hmm. I w- so SCOTUS blog makes it sound like a lock. I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult than that and the reason my reasoning is democrats are under a lot of pressure to filibuster the pick no matter who it is gorsuch notwithstanding there are protests already on the steps of the supreme court and those were organized before the pick was announced so it may be uh, he may come through but it's not going to come easy right 
and I feel like the, obviously I think the protest was was uh, set up before just because all his other picks have been so to put put it mildly insane, where where people believe that it could have just been Joe Schmo off the street, and he would have put him in that position because his other cabinet picks have been for for positions that they're not qualified in just looking at their resume in any way. So I I, I think it was a I guess preventive preventative to uh to to set up that protest just because his other picks have been so insane and the fear that w- that uh, uh go ahead I'm sorry the, go go ahead uh I I think part of it is uh the democratic based leftists liberals activists everybody on the left uh doesn't want anything for the Trump administration to move forward whatsoever uh it it is the uh, the left feels that the uh, that Trump has hijacked the the government. He's running it as an authoritarian. Many of his picks, as you said, are uh, significantly unqualified for the positions that they've been nominated for. Several of them uh, have explicitly called for the dissolution or destruction of the agencies they were set to they are set to uh, be in charge of, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the Supreme Court is sort of the, the 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 Waterloo. It's the biggest battle of them all, um, because the uh, Supreme Court uh, picks are lifetime appointments. They last far longer than any presidency. Judge Gorsuch, as far as I I read, is about forty nine years old. Oh, that's that's a very long he time. Could ser- he could serve on the court uh, potentially for thirty forty years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Supreme Court picks are major legacy things. In addition to that, uh, Obama made a pick a year ago when this seat opened up uh, following the death of Scalia. Merrick Garland. Yep. Uh, he picked, if you remember, he picked uh, Mer- uh, Judge Merrick Garland of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, a very mainstream, moderate to liberal pick sort of the mirror image of the of Neil Gorsuch. If Neil Gorsuch is center right, Merrick Garland is center left. But Republicans wouldn't even give him a chance for a hearing. They yep. didn't meet with him. They didn't have a hearing. And the Senate has to con- uh, vote on and confirm any Supreme Court nominee for them to serve on the in that position. If if I remember reading some, I remember reading something when uh, when Merrick Garland was first uh, thrown out there by uh, President Obama was I think Republicans years ago would have said absolutely yes to Mayor Garland. But because uh, it was Barack Obama throwing the name out there for, for an appointed for the judge, it became completely obstructionist, which is something that they did for majority of the eight years of Barack Obama's presidency. So it's kind of, so obviously I don't, I don't have any affiliations to the media, so I can say whatever I want. Um, so it's it's kind of been funny to me where... Like I just I just posted. It's funny to me how for eight years Republicans and right-leaning individuals complained about absolutely everything Barack Obama did. Said he wasn't a citizen. Said he was said he was a Muslim. Said he hated Christians, so on and so forth. And that's to the very extreme of it. And so there. So now the right is complaining because ma- the majority of this country, which at the end of the day she did win the the popular vote. Is is upset about it because at no point did uh did Trump give anybody 
make not make anybody feel like they were safe if they weren't if he if they weren't agreeing with him, right? Like that's been the consensus that I'm getting. He is always he always, he believes. His, go ahead. He's he's governing for the uh, a small minority at this point. Yep. But because he has control over all levers of government, uh, his party does. The Republicans control the House and the Senate mm-hmm. and Congress. And if if Gorsuch is to be confirmed, they'll have a five form advantage at the Supreme Court. And there's a chance it could the, be uh, even. The, and there's a chance it could be even higher. Because aren't, I mean, I don't know their ages, but there's a couple other judges that are getting up there in age that might retire. So it could be as high as six or seven, six to three or seven to two, as far as conservative to liberal. Exactly. So that's why the Supreme Court is always the biggest blood board of them all in terms of uh, fights over who gets to do what um, and who gets to uh, vote in favor or vote against. This is uh, this is somewhat of a recent phenomenon, at least uh, in modern history. If uh, you remember Justice Ginsburg, who is considered one of the uh, more one of the liberal justices, yep. was uh, was picked with a showing it now on NBC with a 96 to three vote. The first uh, the first vote close vote for a Senate uh, in the Senate for a Supreme Court justice in recent times was 2006 for Samuel Alito. He was 58-42. And then the two picks by Obama, Elaine, uh, Elaine Kagan and Sotomayor, both yep. received vote numbers in the 60s in favor, and then the 30s again. Oh, man. So these vo- these votes are very uh, are uh, controversial. Right, and and so so it could be because there's a going to be a couple other judges leaving here soon, and so what I guess we can't predict the future. I mean, I I can't, but so I think that's what the the protests were about last week, the women's march across the world. It wasn't just in this country. Um, it's what it's the fear they have because there's this belief that, I mean, I don't know the law. Maybe you could enlighten me on it a little bit. Um. There's this fear that they could re- overturn Roe versus Wade, and 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 change certain laws because it's so far. It, it could be a so far leaning right Supreme Court when the majority of this country statistics show is is leaning more left than anything. I I'll say this: I'm no expert on these kinds of things, but I can give you what my uh, my college education get, uh, told me and where what I learned over the course of my years reading on my own. Right. And that is, uh, the Supreme Court has had a lot of controversial cases in recent years, and we'll continue to hear more controversial cases. And the, their jurisprudence sets the tone for the uh, country over the next, over the time that they hear those cases. For example, Plessy versus Ferguson, which was the separate but equal Supreme Court case from 1896, was not overturned for almost 60 years. It took until 1954 for Brown versus Board of Ed to overturn that case. Mm-hmm. And cases for, uh, like Roe versus Wade are definitely going to be uh, potential picks for the court to hear because the Supreme Court chooses which cases it it hears and which cases it rejects. There are thousands of petitions filed every year 
to the Supreme Court. In fact, uh, you only pay about $50 in order to file a petition. Prisoners can file them on their own in their own handwriting, which is a relatively com uh, common thing. Uh, and the, the court picks and chooses which cases it wants to hear. They usually pick about between uh, 60 and 80 cases a term. The ter uh, Supreme Court term runs from October to June. Okay. And those cases they pick tend to be, uh, tend to be, not always, but tend to be uh, very controversial and uh, involve question controversial questions of constitutionality. So, um, yeah, that's, that's insane, man. It's, it's just kind of baffling to think that in this day and age, we can, we can go, we can revert back to a time when women, I guess, didn't have the rights over their own bodies. I, I, it just boggles my mind. I don't understand. Like, I've never understood it. Like, what gives somebody the right to tell somebody else to do with their bodies is, is just beyond me. I can't really discuss that considering my job. Right. But... My my sympathies are with women who want to choose their what they want to do with their own bodies. There, however, there have been people since the announced since the Roe versus Wade decision that have spent their lives fighting over this and trying to get it overturned. Right. There is a very large anti-abortion movement in the country. It's and not the only issue they vote on, but it's one of, it's one of the most significant. Which is funny because that's uh, it's like the, the the irony for me is that's their choice to to have that movement right like that they're they're choosing to to make that the pillar they stand on and or whatever you want to call it so that's their choice they're they're making with that but they're taking away somebody else's choice which just it's just I don't know it just boggles my mind man it's pretty crazy but yeah so let's let's talk a little bit about the the cabinet picks. What are these? Sure. Are these in in the time you you know since you've studied and gone to college? Are these the most extreme picks for cabinets that you can remember in recent history? Uh, overall, I say absolutely. I can't remember ever a time uh, when agencies people were picked to lead agencies that they intended to dissolve. Yep. The uh, the person picked to run the Environmental Protection Agency, Scott Pruitt is his name. He's the Attorney General of Oklahoma. the state of Oklahoma. Yep. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Oklahoma. He has filed multiple lawsuits against the EPA trying to curtail what they can do. He uh, dissolved the Department of Environmental Protection in his own state when, he, when it was uh, something he supervised. He has denied in the past he's denied i believe he's denied global warming right well the right um, the, the, the right leaning individuals so that's, just, that's that's just one example another example is rick perry who uh <laughs> rick was perry. confirmed to be secretary of energy yeah he is the uh, department he the energy department was one of three he had named in a republican presidential debate that he intended no. to eliminate wasn't However, that wasn't he went that back on that during his confirmation hearing? Wasn't that his gaffe where he couldn't he couldn't yes, think that, of that name? If I remember, that was the famous that yes, that was the famous gaffe where Jesus. he could not remember. And I and I remember reading something and watching a couple of videos on it that he actually when he first got the call, he thought he was gonna be uh what's the word? 
an ambassador to oil, the oil and gas industry. Yeah, exactly. So for those for those people that don't know that might that listen to this podcast, could you tell them a little bit of what the EPA does and why Scott Pruitt is so against it? Okay, so two separate things. The EPA is involved with all sorts of things, everything from keeping our water clean and our air clear uh, to uh, all sorts of issues concerning um, nuke. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the EPA's main priorities are enforcement of the Clean Air Act and the Clean the Clear Air Act, the Clean Water Act, and those those sorts of th- those two laws have led to all sorts of different rules uh, under multiple administrations. It was the EPA was created in 1970 by President Richard Nixon. It um, now oversees things like carbon regulations, nuclear power emissions, all sorts of things. So the energy department, run by run by Rick Perry, is pri- uh, two thirds of its staff are concerned with the safety and maintenance of our nuclear arsenal. So the man who thought he was going to be an oil and gas ambassador is actually going to be in charge of our nuclear weapons. Sweet Jesus! In this country. Oh my God! That, how now? A, a rational thinking human being, which I I, I assume most people are. I've, I've come to realize that that's probably incorrect. How would they be okay with somebody who couldn't, eight, what, eight years ago or four years ago, couldn't even mention, they could not remember this department to now leading it is beyond me, right? Like if, if this happened on the left, they would be, I'm not going to say crucified because that's, that's slightly over the top, but I just I don't get it. Like I don't I don't understand how these people are put in these put in these positions that aren't qualified at all. It's kind of like if all, if they, if they, if, a do, if all of a sudden tomorrow you were a brain surgeon, you know, and I, no no qualifications. You never studied for it. You never you don't you don't know, even know what a brain looks like. But you got to go re, uh, remove a tumor. I don't I don't understand it. There are theories. I am not. I'm not going to endorse or um, disavow these theories. But there are theories going around that these picks were made primarily by President Obama's. I mean, pre- President Donald Trump. I'm already making this mistake. <laughs> President Donald Trump's counselor. Oh, Steve Bannon. Uh, Steve Bannon. Yeah. Bannon is a is, Bannon is an avowed left uh, Leninist who's made public uh, remarks over the years about his desire to destroy the state from within. Mm-hmm. And he's also had uh, several anti-Semite, anti-Semitic uh, statements, and he, he was... Here's here's my question. We can dive in. I, I can go on, Bre- on Breitbart and Steve Bannon for a little bit. So here's, here's my question, right? How is somebody who ran a media organization that was clearly biased to one side has no qualifications to to do anything in government honestly except tell tell Donald Trump whatever he wants to hear I'm saying that not you um is that he gets a seat at the National Security Council how does not how does that not terrify more people and why are they just focused on Donald Trump's tweets and I'm talking people in general as, as far as the media that's a, that's another conversation but that's okay. that's the part okay, that people. I can't, I... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, so yeah, so that's it's my question is 
how does if if people now want to share their superficial comments and posts about the defense of Donald Trump, why I feel like maybe I'm making this wrong assumption. Maybe your Facebook or your Twitter is different than mine, but I don't see anybody commenting on on Steve Bannon being in the National Security Council or Betsy DeVos who has no qualifications to be the Secretary of Education. There, it's almost like Trump is where their intelligence stops. I, you know, I, I, that's maybe I'm making the wrong assumption. Maybe I'm generalizing, and that's fine. I'm open to have the conversation with with right wingers whenever they want to have it. But for a person who's not qualified, who has shown his bias, and ha- like you said, already uh, spoken and and been quoted saying that he wants to destroy the state from within, which is these United States. How how does that not send more red flags to more people? And I mean the people, not 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 the ones that are like. Like like yourself that are are paid to to educate themselves on it or or to uh, to be an analyst on on those certain things. That's they know what's going on. But how do more people in this time of Google and all these things not take the time to look at that? I know I'm gonna ask probably too many questions, but that was just my little my my couple of questions. That's about. okay. Um, on Bannon, I would say. Among the leftists and activists, they are very much paying attention to what Steve Bannon is up to. Um, They are watching very closely all the actions of the country. In terms of the executive order that that allowed Steve Bannon a permanent seat on the National Security Council, that was a decision that was signed off on by Trump. Mm -hmm. It's something that runs explicitly contrary to the actions taken by previous presidents despite uh, denials to that effect from the press, the White, the, uh, White House press secretary, the, the George W. Bush uh, did not explicitly kept his advisor, Karl Rove, out of the room during the national security discussion because he did not want po- uh, politics or political thought influencing decisions made on national security matters. Right. Um, on, during the during the Obama administration, however, the political advisors were allowed to float in and out on uh, from time to time. They were not given a permanent seat. The difference here is Bannon is required to sit in on every single one of these meetings now, as per the executive order. It's a significant power grab, and. Uh, I, and I can't speak to this from my own personal experience, but there there are activists on the left who are calling this a national security coup on yeah. the part of Bannon. So, so for those, so let me ask you something because you're to put it my, to put it honestly because this is an uncensored podcast. You're balls deep in this politics, right? So my question is: the National Security Council, do they advise the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or do they not have anything to do with each other? How does that work? The Joint Chiefs of Staff. The Joint Chiefs of Staff is a military official, and he's he was a member of the National Security Council. The Council uh, makes recommendations to the president, and okay. then the president makes the decision. The Council is usually organized by a National Security Advisor, which is now Steve Bannon. Filters, no, which is now Michael Flynn. Okay. General Michael Flynn. Okay. He, his job is to distill and take in all the uh, opinions of all the national security departments across the government, everything from the Pentagon to the CIA to 
the the NSA, all of those all of those agencies all uh, compile reports, and those reports are filtered through by the National Security Advisor, discussed at the National Security Council, and decided upon by the president when sitting at National Security Council meetings. Hmm. My, uh, Michael Flynn is a bit of a, a controversial, controversial person. He used to be the, uh, the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, but was fired by President, President Obama. He got a bit of a resurrection uh, by joining up with Donald Trump during his campaign. But Flynn has a history of working with Russians and Turkish people, uh, for example. He was at a gala uh, for Russia Today, the Russia government-owned TV network, mm-hmm. and sat at the same table as Vladimir Putin. Jeez. He, he uh, lobbied for Turkish government interests and did not disclose it when uh, writing blog posts for U.S.-based newspapers. He's got a bit of a story history, and he's, a bit, he's known as a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I remember uh, reading up and seeing and seeing things like that, and yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So his he runs the National Security Council as the National Security Advisor, but now with Bannon taking a seat at the National Security Council, they're seen as almost uh, parallel uh, uh, the parallel levels in the organizational chart. That's insane. And the two of them are. <clears throat> Are a bit of competing factions within the government now, under under Donald Trump. So, so when you say competing factions, this is me. This is me. So it's all, it's like a versus now, right? So there, it's not it's not they're looking for the betterment of the country or thinking about national security. There, they're more so. There's always there are always these kinds of things, but they're usually not this pronounced. Okay. This is this is uh it's very common. For people to jockey for position right. to get to the ear of the president. Right. That that's that's very common. That's been that way for since the founding of the republic. But it's not always done this way, it, or with these with these types of people at these types of positions. Mm. Okay. Okay. So that yeah, that, that I mean that makes sense because one one person has one set of information and the other one has their set of information and they want to get the last word. I mean that that just... exactly, and, and and getting the last word is extremely important for uh, with Donald Trump because he is no he is notorious and known for making decisions based on the last person to speak with him about an issue. Yeah, I, I was I, I've seen videos and I've and I've read up on that. Basically, the last person in the room is the decision he goes with, and and to say it jokingly, it's because he's probably distracted and watching Fox News and getting his 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 news from there. Um, I, well, he gets, he actually has a very long history of watching CNN for news and reading the New York Times. Uh, one of his, uh, the reporters that's covered him for the last 20 years, Maggie Haberman, who now works for the New York Times, has interviewed him several times over the years. And he's long said that the New York Times is the first thing he reads every morning in print. See, here, here's, the, here's the funny thing about about that, right? Everything like, I feel like maybe he should read his security reports first, you know, like because he already has the news the probably the night before it goes to publish, but because he doesn't sit in on those on those meetings 
and get his briefings, he doesn't have to read the New York Times anymore. He knows things we'll never know, right? And that's he doesn't. Well, ha- yes. It's it's just crazy to he, me he that he definitely knows things. Yeah. He, yeah. He, sorry to interrupt you. He definitely knows things that are classified that no one else has access to, other than the people with the top, uh, highest, highest level of security clearances. Is However, it? he does not get an advanced look at, at news articles until they're published. Right, right, right. So no, I, when, I meant when I meant the the infor- not the news articles per se. If if you write an article, it's so, so much more so like he al- he knows what's going on before the news does. You get what I'm saying? Like he, mm-hmm. he knows what things are going on and things like that. So on a on a lighter note, because we went we 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 could keep talking about that and we'll dive right back in. Is it weird that I'm just hoping for the tweet when he takes like a selfie with an alien? And he lets us know there, you know what I mean? Like just like, hey, listen, I'll, I'll put it out on Twitter and take a picture with an alien so we know it's real, you know? Because if throw out those conspiracy theories if you want, because I, I feel like that's coming within a year, right? Like he can't help but to tweet. He's gonna get some information he's not mentally ready for, and he's just gonna put it out there. Uh, it wouldn't shock me. <laughs> uh, I, I can't say anything beyond that. Um, I don't think I'm comfortable answering a question no no i I get that i get that his cavorting with aliens (laughs) so let me i don't know if you can answer this how if we if we rewind back to eight years how do you think it would have been perceived because we could talk about it since we're in and out we experienced eight years ago how do how do you think it would have been perceived if, if barack obama was tweeting this much and saying all these things commenting on saturday night live and so, things like that. How do, how do you think it would have been different? I mean, this is, was the same guy who, for the first four to six years of his presidency, they questioned if he was even a, even a legitimate citizen because they constantly asked for his birth certificate. I think you just answered your own question. Yeah. Like, it's crazy, right? Like, have, have, we, have we seen, I don't know, you could tell me because I, I haven't looked that deep into it. Have we seen Donald Trump's birth certificate? Why is it different? Uh, I have not seen it. I have not looked for it. We know he was born, as far as we know, I mean, uh, I, uh, all evidence indicates he was born in Jamaica Estates, Queens, which is a very wealthy neighborhood near Jamaica mm-hmm. in Queens. It's about it's about a mile or two off the closest subway station. Um, the, the houses are very elegant, kind of quiet. Uh, it's a very nice neighborhood. Right. Well, I would and I would assume his so because his father was a big, a very big real estate developer in New York City. He made middle class housing, including the building where uh, I have had family live for years in South Brooklyn near Coney Island. Um, but the son Donald Donald Trump uh, long cast his eye on bigger and better things than what his father had done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started in the 70s when he made a deal to build uh, a hotel near Grand Central Station called the Grand Hyatt, yep. which is uh, in central Manhattan. And it's, go- it's gone on and through then. The last big thing he built was in the 90s, as far as I know. And since then, his, big, his biggest claim to fame has been licensing his name to things. Right, he puts his name on a uh, on a golf course. He puts his name on hotels. He puts his he. So it's a bit of a licensing business, as right. much as it is a building business. 
so so you said he he hasn't built something since the nineties. So when, but it, in those times, what, I, I was would, it? I, before, let me inter- let me interrupt you real fast. Of course. Um, there's a book. There's a book I would recommend everyone who wants to know the history of Donald Trump read. I am about to start reading it myself. It was written by my late former journalism mentor Wayne Barrett, who passed away 18 hours before Donald Trump took the inauguration. Wow. The book is called Trump, The Greatest Show on Earth, The Deals, The Downfall, The Reinvention. He uh, has covered, Wayne Barrett had covered Donald Trump since 1979. He was the first major investigative journalist to get an interview with Donald Trump. Trump once had him arrested at a party in 1990 for trespassing. Uh, why is that? Because uh, when, 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 he, when Wayne Barrett wrote the article, it didn't put Trump in the best no, light? I mean, because that's just... uh, tr- uh, Wayne and Trump have a bit of a had a bit of a contentious relationship. Um, Wayne was covering a story about some deal that Trump was trying to do in the late '80s, early '90s. I think this was 1990, um, and went to a party that Trump was hosting to try to see who was there and who he was trying to uh, get access to at this party. Mm-hmm. Once. Once Donald knew or identified uh, Wayne as being there, he had him arrested for criminal trespassing. Wow. So it, it uh, almost anything, it lends uh, uh, for for your listeners, and this is this is definitely a personal plea. Anything your listeners can get their hands on regarding Wayne Barrett and Donald Trump is a something I would highly highly recommend. I'm definitely going to check that out. I'm definitely going to get that book tomorrow. ASAP. I, w- I want to read that because I I need like I guess so. Without reading that book, I just have a couple more questions here. So sure. w- w- in the last I think it was eighteen months. I'm not exactly sure when he declared that he was running for president. So let's talk about that evolution because it felt like at the beginning we all took it as a joke, and then and then we started seeing the debates and things like that. I was like okay, maybe we should take this guy a little bit more seriously. But I don't think I can remember in recent history. Again, I'm I'm 32 years old. My history doesn't go like when I was 10 years old. I wasn't invested in politics. So when when I see him on video, this this has always been my argument with those who are pro-Trump, which is fine. What you can't tell me that that I didn't see what I saw. So when he makes fun of of a handicapped reporter, when he he says. That he could go on on Fifth Avenue or Main Street and shoot somebody, and his supporters still believe him. And then when he almost incites violence at his rallies that he did for all those times, why is it that people make excuses for him and tell us, you know, the the Tammy Loren quote of it? I don't I don't know if you can answer any of this. What I'm not saying, but for us to be snowflakes, right? I I don't understand that. Like when when I see something wrong, it's wrong, left or right. I don't care. Like I'm gonna call it out. I, I can't I can't answer that question. Uh, I wish I could, but I can't. Okay, all right. So that'll just be my rant. So yeah, man. So mm-hmm. let's let's end this on a lighter note, man. How was your day? Good day or crazy How was day? My day. Yeah. Uh, every day of the administration is crazy. You can uh, that's a question that every journalist can answer the same way. Um, someone, uh, some journalist, I don't remember which one, tweeted a couple of days ago. Every journalist, no matter your beat, now covers politics. Yeah. And the reason for that is Trump is... Everything. Uh, Trump's, 
presidency encompasses all facets of life, everything from entertainment to lifestyle to governance to business. There's, there's angles on everything involving him and the political system that actually in all of life now. And, and yes, it, I will say this, I have not been sleeping very well. I, I, I wouldn't imagine so. Uh, I, I'm constantly exhausted. It's a, it's a bit of a, uh, uh, in what, 13 days, I already feel a little bit of burnout. It's That's not insane. even 13 days, it's 11 days. Yeah, it's 11. In yeah. 11 days, I, I already feel a bit of burnout. And that burnout is the product of so much news happening, so many different things to be involved in, in charge of covering. Um, the, the Congress is moving very quickly on all sorts of priorities that Trump favors and some that he doesn't really care much about. So would you um, say, one, when you say that, that he doesn't, that they're moving forward with everything, even things he doesn't care about, is that, is that just to appease him? Is that, why is No, con Congress is, Congress is its own separate branch of government and has right. its own priorities. Right. Um, Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, and Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, have their own agendas that they want to implement. The agendas do not do not always um, comport completely with the uh, agenda by uh, for, uh, Donald Trump favors. In fact, most of the Republicans in Congress are much more pro big business than Donald Trump is. Trump is tr uh, posing as a populist and a nationalist right. way more than. Um, the, the Congress is the uh, for the, the greatest example I have for this is TPP, the trade agreement, mm -hmm. widely praised, widely widely praised by by much of the Republican elite uh, in Congress when it was first signed. They were going to be Obama's uh, arms to pass it through Congress. Because Democrats, especially those on the left who are skeptical of free trade, were not in favor of it. Bernie Sanders, most famously. Yep. Um, but now, now after, due to opposition from the left, primarily activists on the left, and with an assist from populists led by Donald Trump, TPP is dead. The U.S. Trade Representative under Donald, the acting U.S. Trade Representative under Donald Trump sent a letter to all the participants and uh, signatories of the trade, uh, TPP that the U.S. is no longer uh, a party to the agreement. And now we're working on bilateral trade deals. The first one, it sounds like, could be with the U.K., but that's all up in the air right now. Every, uh, it almost feels like everything is up in the air. There's no stability at any point. So, like you were saying, well, that that every every reporter, everybody involved in media hasn't basically slept well to take your words what and how does that how does that how has that affected you like what have you been looking into what what thing you know what i mean like how does it how does it come back to affect you it it, it means that journalism could be a full employment opportunity if revenues hold that being said it's not not every place is making money Right. TV is doing fabulously. Cable news uh, revenues were a record during the election. Usually there's a bit of a hangover effect from that, so the, the, the earnings numbers are down a bit after an election campaign. 
but I don't know if that's going to be the case anymore because there's just it, it's it's a a major spectacle. Yeah, it really is. It's reality TV with politics. Yes, so, exactly. That's what that's what I, I, I you know what I was I, I think I told you this jokingly earlier. I almost feel like he should with with the two because I heard it was two. He had it. He had his list with the, for the for the Supreme Court narrowed down to two names. He almost could have done like The Bachelor, and gave one of them the rose. You know, like it. There were there were jokes on Twitter about that all day, all day. I mean, it's it's insane for and for people just. I mean, I take the I take humor in it, besides the crazy, because you can't sit back but laugh and be like, how the hell did we get here? And how do you not find this as insane as I do? Just, just take a second and step back. Realize that a guy that got famous from saying "you're fired" is now running this country. To, to quote Joe Biden, is is, is he? He won. It's that simple. He he won fair and square. Yep. At least as far as we know, in terms of vote count, he beat all the Republican primary opponents. He had there were 16 opponents he had in the mm-hmm. Republican primary. Yep. He beat all of them. Whether they whether fairly or not, he did. And then in the uh, general election, which is still up for debate, whether the vote is fully legitimate. Mm-hmm. But he the uh, he won more electoral college votes. That's not in dispute. What is in dispute is whether or not there was meddling and interference in the campaign on the part of Russia. Right now. The, during the transition period, uh, Obama ordered an investigation and a review into whether or not there was any interference by Russia, and 19 intelligence agencies all agreed that yes, there was. However, much of that report is still classified, and the unclassified version didn't really explain how and uh, exactly how how Russia did this and how the U.S. knows that Russia did it. Right, because it's, it's a matter of national security and they, yeah. don't, they don't want to tell us exactly. everything. Yeah. I, I exactly. Exactly. Mean, now, I understand now that. Congress is, is investigating. There are here, there are two committees that are investigating, one in the House, one in the Senate. Um, we don't know what the product of that investigation will be or what they will reveal, but that this much is in agreement. Uh, the email of the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee were hacked, yep. the Clinton campaign chief, and the material was delivered to WikiLeaks and several other organizations. The U.S. government believes that Russia was involved. The uh, um, Trump, uh, Trump and his, uh, his people do not uh, cast doubt on that. By saying it could have been Russia, but it could have also been others. Right. The great, great so, argument, by the way. It's it's almost like if you're, not, uh, go ahead. The uh, the other part of it is the U.S. government also believes that the Republican National Committee, not the Trump campaign, but the Republican National Committee, was also breached by these same hackers. But the information and wasn't let the, out. The information was not, but the information was not released to anyone. Right. So the difference is, ha- hacking on all sides happens all the time, especially between nation states 
and each, uh, hacking each other. It's very common. Right. But the difference is, as the espionage, the espionage is uh, information used to, to influence the other government. So the, the espionage was the, was the publishing of the hacked information, the leaking of the hacked information. Right. Which, the, which uh, the intelligence agencies believe was done with the intention of electing Donald Trump as president. Yeah. I mean, and then, and then you just take a look. I, I forget. I might be misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. I mean, didn't Trump call for Russia to hack them? To get the emails? At, at, at one point, he, he said in July, I believe. Yeah. He said, they, uh, he said, Russia, if you've hacked the Clintons, publish all the emails that she allegedly deleted. I mean, that's the, that's the more uh, sort of clean way of which he said it. Right. But he explicitly called for them to, for, for Russia, if they've done the hacking, to publish anything they've got on the 33,000 emails that she had allegedly deleted. Right, so if he now, said... Hillary right. does not deny having deleted thousands of emails. Right, she doesn't at that all. Deletion, she, that deletion, she said, was of personal emails, things like, wedding planning and grandmother visits and things to, of that nature. So for the purposes of an investigation, she did not believe that those were pertinent and they were deleted. Right. But yes, Donald Trump did call for, President Donald Trump did call for the, for those emails to be released. So so let's say if he said that back in July, you, you'd remember better than I would. How do we? Do you remember how soon after that they were all of a sudden released? Wasn't it early August? I don't. Uh, those. The, uh, I don't believe those were the emails that were released, but I I, I can't say for sure that okay. it's the same email. Okay. Anyway, the the email started dribbling out in September October. Okay, so towards towards the towards election day. And they yeah. just and they came out. They came out like and like they, waves. They were coming out and dribbled and. Yep. They were coming out in bunches at a time, designed, of course, to attract continual and ongoing media attention. Yep. Because each new email brought new revelation. Yeah, and then if spend all hours. It was yep. dumped all at one, if, if all of it was dumped all at once, the strategy goes, it would have been a two or three day story and that would have been the end of it. But because every single day for a month there were new emails coming out, there was uh, new new stories to cover out of them. Yeah. What dirt did what dirt did one person say about the other? Who who was bad mouthing Bernie? What what was going on with potential questions at a town hall week to uh, week to the campaign? Things of that nature. Yeah. It, it it gave off it gave off the sentiment that it was rigged, and it fed it fed into everything that Trump was talking about. And all those types of things. I mean, it was—it's—it's been—it's obvious—it's honestly been one of the craziest times I can remember uh, in modern times and in modern politics. But I'll say this to to end this on a lighter note. Lighter note. It's nice to see and it's refreshing to see uh, citizens of this country, residents, green card holders, visa holders, whatever they might be, march for their beliefs and for what they believe is right. It's nice to see the First Amendment being used. Because it's often forgotten, and it's just not, it's just a good, honestly, it's a good time to be alive, because it, it lets people know that we're not just going to stand by and let whatever happened happen, you know? We're, there's, there's voices, 
there's media, there's podcasts now. You could you could put your voice out there. You don't just have to listen to certain to certain things anymore. It's it's a different time now. People can uh, the ability for people to publish their own things and for the way for sources to go direct, as the journalism professors like to call it, is a new thing and it's changed the way in which we live and it will continue to change the way in which we live, we live every day. Yep, absolutely. And on that note, uh, that's that.